You're listening to Fix Me a Drink, a Flaviar podcast. Welcome to another edition of Fix Me a Drink. I'm Noah Rothbaum, Flaviar's head of cocktails and spirits. Joining me as always is my colleague and co-host, David Weinrich. How are you, Dave? Doing well, Noah. Yourself? I am also well. Um, I'm very pleased uh, to have our guest uh, coming on here. Yes. This is a, an old friend and uh, and somebody I admire and uh, who's put out a very good book recently. Absolutely. We're talking, of course, of Neil Bodenheimer, who runs, I can't even keep track, but I think at least three or four establishments in New Orleans. He's involved in one in D.C., but obviously his first bar was Cure. Uh, he's just released a new book called Cure New Orleans Drinks and How to Mix Them, written with our old friend also Emily Timberlake. Um, the book has just come out. Pick up a copy, obviously. There's a lot of interesting history about New Orleans, uh, recipes from Neil, and also the many all-stars that have worked at Cure. It's a real portrait of New Orleans drinking in the modern era and uh, also, you know, reaching back into the past, as you would expect with New Orleans. Absolutely. Uh, one of our favorite cities in the world. Uh, I feel like Dave and I often talk about New Orleans on this show or just normal day. Um, yeah. So uh, <laughs> we're very glad to always chat with Neil and, and have an excuse to talk about NOLA and drinking there. So uh, without further ado, we'll get Neil on the line. Neil, thank you for joining us today on this episode. Hey, Neil. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. I have to say that I wish we were in New Orleans with you to record this. Uh, at Cure would have been ideal, but... That would have been very nice. I think last time I was on a on, on a podcast with you, there was like a massive lightning storm happening in the back oh, yeah. while I was sitting at Cure. <laughs> it was like a giant lightning strike and you jumped and you were like, oh my God, did you hear that? We're like, no. Yeah. No? Yeah. <laughs> so so careful what you wish for being in New Orleans. Sometimes it, it can be a little hairy. It That's can, true. It, it can come back and bite you. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. I was at Cure during Tales this year in July, which was which was lovely. I was live texting you my experience at the bar, which at the time I thought was very so complaining. Funny. In other words, oh, you know, <laughs> he was basically pulling a James Corden. Oh, in the bar. well, I mean, okay, so shots fired. What I thought was interesting, I wasn't going to bring this up, but you did. I was reading your new book, Cure. New Orleans drinks and how to mix them. And there is obviously a large section on the Ramos Gin Fizz. You claim to enjoy drinking and making in the book. Um, it did take a little convincing of one of your bartenders at around 11 o'clock to fix me one of them. Well, I, I know you're a very persuasive guy, so I'm sure you got it done. His colleague took sympathy on me and, and me, but he was like, I'm not... Good. 11 o'clock at night, like, come on, dude, like, oh, please, yeah, come on. please, please. Uh, I mean, look, I'll give it to you. That <laughs> definitely should have been made. Uh, it was made. Hand, it was I, made. I, I got to say, Noah, what kind of monster <laughs> orders yeah, a Ramos Gin Fizz at 11 o'clock on a busy I, You night. know, what can I say? It wasn't busy to my credit. I'm not that. Okay, I'm, not, I'm okay. not a total James Corden. Lifetime ban. I know. Until tomorrow. <laughs> until tomorrow. I, I, I'll order until I try to order one at Balthazar. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's one of those. So you, you when you order a Ramos Gin Fizz, I think you expect... 
a side of grief, you know, from uh, the bartender sometimes. Yeah, I mean, or you could just do like the the thing that we do at pay shows, what a lot of the the old timers did, which is way better than making it by hand, is putting it in the blender. It works better. For sure. I mean, the show's nice, but the blender works really, really. Well, I well. mean, in in Cuba, right? They make at the the home of the the daiquiri or the daiquiri. They use a blender at uh, El Floridita, right? But they so, use the blender there for the tourist uh, oh. the tourist daiquiris because they get so many tour groups coming in and each with a little green ticket in their hand, each right. person and they hand it over and they get their daiquiri that's in the blender and, and then they leave. And then for the people sitting at the bar who've been there for a while, they handshake them. Ah. So <laughs> I, I, I feel like a similar scheme may occur in certain yeah, New Orleans uh, establishments. But, I feel uh, like it may. I wouldn't yeah. want to comment on that, Noah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of the many interesting things in the book is I think at the beginning you talk about your own history, right? And and I didn't I didn't know this about your family um, that the the Bodenheimers that they have been in New Orleans for what it's like now a hundred and seventy years, give or say hundred hundred and seventy years in Louisiana, and in Louisiana. about a hundred and about a hundred and twenty in 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 New Orleans. Wow, that's a good long time. What did they do when they came? So my dad's great, 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 I don't know how many greats, but <laughs> he was great. But uh great, yeah, he was great. Yeah, plenty he, of great. Uh, he he shipwrecked. So he came in through the port of New Orleans from from the Rhine Valley mm-hmm. and and shipwrecked in Bozier around Bozier City, what what would once which would eventually become Bozier City, which um which we don't really claim, obviously, that we were part of the founding of Bozier City. <laughs> yeah. I don't think anybody yeah. would. Yeah. I think you need a t shirt to that effect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like we we founded the armpit. Um <laughs> but no, and so we so our family was up in Shreveport, which is which is actually a lovely community. You know, I kid. Mm-hmm. My dad's grandfather and his and his brother were both in the insurance business. And as was the case, there wasn't enough meat on the bone for two brothers. And one said, well, I'm going to go to New Orleans mm-hmm. and go start the insurance company down there. And that's how, that's, how we, uh, that's how we ended up in New Orleans. Awesome. New Orleans was such a different city at the turn of the last century than it is at the turn of this one. I mean, yeah. it was such a business city back then. you know, And you don't really think of it as such now. You think much more of tourism. When you look back, I mean, you see how how it was committed to industry and shipping and and things like insurance. It was it was like all business. In the book, it's it says what you you said. It's like it was the third largest city after New York, New York, Baltimore, and then New Orleans, which is kind of amazing. It is, and and it really turned for New Orleans. I mean, there were multiple events that turned New Orleans from 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 a larger city into a smaller city. But one of them being the the Great Flood of 1929, or wait, it's either 27 or 29. It, it really affected the city financially, and it really affected the the region. And I think it was one of a number of natural disasters that maybe kind of signaled to the rest of the markets that maybe New Orleans wasn't a, a stable environmental place to do business. Which so they put all their money in in Detroit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> You know, it's interesting if you look fast forward a hundred years that, you know, that we're seeing so many cities. I mean, New Orleans is is uh, is is out front, but that are that are grappling with their environmental viability. 
in, mm-hmm. in this new age. And so uh, I think that what we saw a hundred years, a little over a hundred years ago, or, you know, that that was, you know, kind of a precursor or the canary in the coal mine of what we're seeing today. You and I, you know, were talking a couple of weeks ago. You, I know you were a devoted listener to this show and I appreciate that. And all of our listeners out there. Um, and you you had listened to our conversation about regional cocktails and, and you had made the very salient point that in, in New Orleans, like a lot of it had to do with also why drinks were made the way that they were made was because of how hot and humid it is there, right? Mm-hmm. That, yeah. Like which is something that we don't we don't I mean we we don't really think about these days, right? You know, the refrigeration is all across America, like ice machines, like mm-hmm air conditioning you know especially in, supply in, chain is much more well was much more stable <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah up until recently very stable uh but i i mean it it affects even like real minutiae that that can change the fate of a drink uh, like the mint julep which in new orleans says as you put in your book i mean it was you know a very popular drink it was new orleans was known for its mint juleps but once you had air conditioning, there wasn't so much reason for the mint julep anymore. The mint julep was made to be a cooler. And also, when you put that much ice in a glass in hot, humid weather, the moisture from outside the glass uh, condenses on the glass and freezes. And you get like this, this amazing like icon of coldness. And it doesn't work in air conditioning. So the no, drink just no. kind of flat, you know? <laughs> It doesn't have that effect. It doesn't do the same thing. It, it, it's very funny. I mean, that it really kind of ruins the effect of the drink and 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 its psychological coldness because you don't have that layer of ice on the outside. Wah, wah. I mean, it does, but it's you know, I still I still love the drink, but it, you need you need it in very specific moments. I think at our house we put in we've got this like really like dark like outside area, and so we had to put a mosquito system in. Yeah. So the, 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 the idea, and it doesn't work well enough ever. Uh, same here in Brooklyn. I got to be honest with you. Our backyard is just swarmed and uh, you will just get bit. And, and, you know, these, these, these are, these are Brooklyn mosquitoes. I mean, they're, uh, they're extra, extra mean. But see, that's why we have to drink mint juleps is so yeah. that when, so that when they bite us, that they die from alcohol consumption. <laughs> and also, you know, it adds to this. Secret is not minding. (laughs) Right. Oh, well. It's true. Obviously, the book just came out. How long has this been in in the works? I remember talking to you about it, I don't know, what, six years ago? About. So so we've been working on it for about four years. And, um, you know, unlike you guys, I am not a writer. Um, I needed, I needed Emily, you know, I needed Emily Timberlake in a, in a village of, of, of advice and, and, and thank you to both of you for your advice, uh, over the years. But, um, this was not a natural process for me and it was, it was very difficult to get down. That's why it took so long. That's why it took extra long. And then, but, but I will say that I really, as much as I didn't necessarily want to do it in the beginning. And as I started working on it, I really enjoyed it. And, uh, I mean, had we not been working on it during most of the pandemic, it really, really helped me stay, stay sane throughout. So uh, I'm really grateful for the, you know, for the book and the work for, for a lot of different reasons. 
it's an interesting book, I have to say. You've done some very cool things in it. And one of my favorite things is that you involved the whole New Orleans drink community in it. And you've got interviews with all kinds of interesting people uh, who maybe aren't particularly associated with Cure, but are associated with New Orleans drinks. Yeah. And I, I love that you showed where Cure is in the community with that. And, you know, let the community uh, come in as well and, and say their piece. And that's that's unusual and, and really refreshing, I have to say. Well, first of all, thank you. And, and, and second of all, I mean, as you guys know, like, there is no bar without a community. That's right. Absolutely. You know, Cure, Cure can't exist with the community that supports us. I mean, and that, that has just been underscored uh, over the past few years. And we are, you know... No, no bar, no program is just one person. And we have always been a collective since the very beginning. And that that collective includes those that come in and support us in various different ways. I I was very happy to see our old friend Pablo Johnson, New Orleans rock and tour, uh, Bobby <laughs> Vod, uh, legendary photographer. Uh, usually he's behind the lens, so uh, known for his red beans and rice suppers he takes a great photograph i mean he he actually took a great photograph he was yeah. he was not the <laughs> photographer but the photo i mean i think Tenny colbert who photographed the book took uh, one of my favorite pictures of pablo i've ever seen yeah and well, you get a real sense of uh, his his big hard taste of what it's like to be at his house for red beans and rice which the three of us yeah. have been fortunate yeah. to do several times and hopefully yeah, i think we've once again i think we've been at, i think we have we have we ever been at the at the table at the same time or all dave we've been together and i've been with dave but i don't think i don't think all three of us have ever been at the table at once the table would would be like too much it'd just be too much for Pablo. <laughs> I, I, i've seen that table be a lot sometimes so oh, i've seen that table <laughs> be a lot sometimes too. <laughs> Once you get Chris Hanna there, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it, it, there, there, there are various uh, strong personalities uh, that that live here or come through here. Well, speaking of strong personalities, another thing is your book is full with all all the the drinks have acknowledgments, and uh, they come from a roster of New Orleans bartenders, yeah. such as you know, is could only be inscribed in the in the annals of heaven. I mean, there's just <laughs> amazing people in there uh, who contributed drinks uh, from you know Kirk Estopinal and Max Pazuniak and uh, Danny Valdez, the great Danny mm -hmm. Valdez, who uh, you know people who are real pioneers and real characters as well. A any book with Kirk and Danny in it, you've got two of the biggest characters I know. <laughs> And, and that just is, you know, it just underscores how fortunate we've been at Cure over the years. I mean, it's we're about to celebrate 14 years in February, and there's about 12 years of drinks in this book. Um, but every drink that is not a classic is is a drink that was served at Cure, and and, and every original was a bartender who worked at Cure and served that drink on the menu at Cure, and they they were all. Um, well-received drinks. It's not it, It's not the first time that they've seen the light of day. And there's some real modern classics in there, too. I mean, I see the gun shop fizz. I mean, that's uh, that brings back memories. Uh, there's, oh, yeah. There, there's a lot of stuff like that. 
Yeah. The gun shop still to this day is really fun. And, um, and, and Nick Jarrett actually cracked something that was really fun in the early days of, of pay shows. He realized that the bitters that they were making at Sazerac house, cause they make their own version of pay shows bitters there were really you know, like really fresh and, and powerful. And so he started making gun shop, uh, gun shop fizzes only with the bitters that he was buying at Sazerac house. I think we got to cut this part out. There's going to be no bitters left at Sazerac right. house when I go there uh, to, to get some next time I'm in I, I feel like I feel like we could get you some, Dave, but, uh, you know, the rest of us are uh, out of luck. You know, it's one of these things where time seems to pass ever quicker these days. And it's mm-hmm. sort of, you know, looking at all the cocktail recipes and the bartenders, Ricky Gomez and others, it's like, it's like another era, right? I mean, it seems like uh, not 12 years ago, but a hundred years ago that, you know, that these folks worked at Cure. And then they, a lot of them went on to have, you know, really interesting careers afterwards. And yeah, very successful careers. It's just, I don't know. It, 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 it took me back. I mean, it's like, you know, you were asking like, Oh, like this cure, like, do we need a cocktail book? Like, what, like, what are we going to say? It's like, when you start really looking at it, it's like, that was a long time ago. I mean, the yeah. world, especially for mm-hmm. cocktails and spirits, 12 years ago, a lot of the stuff that you and your bartenders are doing, and, and to be honest, a lot of bartenders in New Orleans were doing, was not something that was common in other cities, right? I mean, like, it it was, that's what, for Dave and I, and I'll speak mm-hmm. for him, mm-hmm. and others, what made going to New Orleans so fun was that, like, there was a drink scene. Also, it was a pre-cocktail movement drink scene also there. Yeah. I mean, one of the first people I met in New Orleans, and I love seeing her in the book, is Katie Kasbarian from Our Nose. Mm-hmm. And uh, what a lovely person. And I think it was the second Tales of the Cocktail I was at. I hosted a dinner there. And, you know, and she was couldn't have been more hospitable, but they'd been making their French 75s their way for a while already. Yeah. I mean, it was one of my favorite parts of the book because, um, you know, Katie and I, we went to nursery school together. I, mean, I was, was going to say that, close you know, you've got <laughs> this unique access to, to, to some of these people. And, and it was in, you know, I, I remember her father very fondly when he was alive and, 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 and her mother, Jane is, is, is wonderful and her brother, Archie. Um, and so it, it, it's very personal for me to get to tell their stories and to, and to share it with our community. Um, who may not know who they are necessarily. Right. And, and so it's, uh, it, it really, you know, we, we talk about another photograph that, that, that Denny took. It, it really is meaningful to me to get to see Katie in the main dining room of Arno's with the portraits of her parents behind her. It, it's, it's, it's significant for me. You know, it's, it's very hard, to, as, as you know, to, to hand down a, re- a restaurant for multiple generations and uh you know especially a big one that's complex to run uh and the the fact that they've done that is is really quite something it really is and and arno's is like 10 restaurants in one yeah you know that's like what's so crazy about it and then like a mardi gras museum upstairs with all of the those old costumes and dresses. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of amazing. It really is, and it's and it's a really it's it's a testament to their family's commitment to the community and to preserving a really important part of our community. Well, it's also the the most New Orleans thing to be like. Oh yeah, I went to nursery school with them. <laughs> <laughs> well, think- we also we also went to lower school and middle school right. and high sure. school together. Right. Too. <laughs> 
it is, I mean, but that's New Orleans too. I mean, it's uh, you know, it is such a tight knit community, and I think so many people come and visit that sort of forget that folks actually live there and right there for like your family for you know a century and a quarter like you know what i mean it's like actually you know it's it's home it's a community right it's not just a place to go and have a great time and then leave <laughs> there is the culture that we present to the world but then there is a real culture when you that you guys both know because you've come here so much and you guys really care about our community that you see when you strip it back that there is you know a really vibrant culture that the average tourist doesn't get to see it's 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 not the bourbon street culture you know no. i mean you, no, you've got a wonderful not. sidebar on black bars for instance yeah, yeah. and you know it, new orleans is a black city i mean 60 easy to forget that if you hang out in the french quarter exclusively and don't really you know pay attention to your surroundings but uh, it was great to see to see uh, that and to see some real discussion of some of the real issues of that too. Is you know why are these places disappearing? Yeah, and and we were lucky to have to have Kasimu as our guide. And actually, Casimu mm -hmm. is a writer and photographer, and just I mean, one of the most talented people that you'll ever meet. And in in the early days of Cure, he actually used to work the doors on the weekends for us. And he's he met his wife uh, Ariel at um at at the door at Cure. And it, it, I just, I, I love the guy to start. I just think he's just a wonderful guy. And then as he started going down, you know, as he started doing his research and, and his mm -hmm. photography around the disappearance of black bars, we really wanted to talk about that in the book. And he was generous enough to to sit down and do an interview with us and, and share that. Yeah, it's an interesting interview also, because, uh, you know, coming from New York, when, when old uh, family bars disappear. It's almost always from development, mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily the case in New Orleans. It seems like it's a little more complicated than that. You know, here it's just because they're getting torn down. And and I think that's part of it, right? Is that part of it is development? Part mm -hmm. of it is as neighborhoods change, and in old cities like like New York and New Orleans, like neighborhoods ebb and flow, and they develop, and then they underdevelop, and then they're underdeveloped, and then it, right. But but. What also happens is that in the thing that I've really realized over the pandemic is that, you know, a bar or a restaurant or any venue or any business is only the the real value is whether someone is if someone wants to get up every day and do it. Right. And, right. you know, the coolers, the minute if the coolers maybe depreciate faster than a car. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, everything in a bar takes a beating. It takes a beating. There's almost no value to it, really, besides the initial purchase. Um, but it's it's your community, and it's and it's deciding that you want to get up every day and you want to and you want to do it. Yeah. And and what happens is that there are a lot of people that maybe their parents do it, and they don't want to get up and, and they they don't want to do the same thing that their parents did. And so there's no one left to take the mantle of the bar. Yeah, I mean, there are plenty of days that it seems pretty thankless, you know, a slow Monday and you've got to open the bar and you've got the same fixed expenses as, as you've got most days. And yet the bar has to be open because there are some people who, if you're not open on Monday, they're not going to come in on Saturday. Mm -hmm. That's right. They expect you to be there for them at all times. And that's really hard. Some days you're paying to go to work. Well put. Yeah. And you figure in, you know, uh, 
all the other challenges, especially over the last few years of running a bar or restaurant. And it's, it's amazing that there are still bars and restaurants. Yeah. And, and, and you can understand why there's some people that, that, that don't want to do the work anymore. You really do because it can be, it can be exceptionally thankless, but at the same time, I think that if you, if you still love the work, it makes it easier to get up every day. One of the things that I always like about Cure is that like during Tales of the Cocktail or other times, it, it draws folks from the French Quarter to Cure, right? And they get to see a little bit more of the city. I mean, it's not that far away. I don't know what, a 15 minute. No, nothing's too far in this town. 20 minutes, right? You know, like, well, that's a long way for New Orleans, a 20 minute drive, yeah. right? It actually is, yeah. It pulls people out of the French Quarter, right? They get to actually see a little bit more of the city. Mm-hmm. They might actually meet folks from the community who are in Cure or, you know, around there. They might go to a nearby restaurant, your Val's restaurant, for instance, or mm-hmm. Comfort Burger are one of our favorites, uh, which is also like a little bit too close to Cure since it's a perfect <laughs> one-two <laughs> stop. That's the goal. That's the goal. When we uh, when we were we were thrilled when when Adam opened Company Burger because it, because so good. Our, our guests would just go right over there and get a burger before or after or before and then after. I've made that run many a time, and uh, that, that's a that's a burger to be reckoned with. I mean, he makes everything no from doubt. scratch, like it's delicious. But it's great to get people like out, like of a quarter and and into you know the the community and. And what our and, and, and what our community, our our drinks community, doesn't understand necessarily is that we have people that live in the uptown area that go to Cure that come to Cure during tales because they want to talk to y'all because they want to, <laughs> you know, it's not that they know anything about about drinks necessarily or the drinks community. Mm-hmm. It's that we have so many fascinating personalities in our business that they're like, Ooh, I wonder like what, who I'm going to meet and what I'm going to learn yeah. about them. And, right. and it, it, it's actually a draw because, because our regulars in our community want, want to know who, right. who y'all are. Right. And you know, it's a draw for us to meet the regulars too, you know, yeah. to, 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 to be in a place that has a sense of place. That's not mm-hmm. just, uh, you know, the, the, the holiday Inn motel on where, where everybody is from somewhere else and nobody has any roots there. Uh, yeah. So it's it, it's it's a nice symbiosis there. Yeah, it really, and, and and that's the thing that 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 I think that I really appreciate about Tales is that it's not just strictly a conference, right? It's not like yeah. you go and you and you're only in the conference. I mean, you you really, you know, it you know if you if you do it right, you know, you try and get out in the community. I know people who have co- gone and just for one day to do their talk, and I kind of look at them as that's extremely perverse. <laughs> you know, yeah. maybe there's a little bit of admiration in my gla- in my gaze, but at the same time, there's also a lot of pity. I mean, let's be honest here, right? A, a lot of the whole value proposition of being involved with tales, you know, whether you're on one of the the boards, you know, where you volunteer, do a panel tasting is that you get to go to New Orleans. Right? I mean, that's yeah. the whole point. Exactly. It's an ex- yeah, we it's just want you guys to come. To be there. We just want you guys to come at the hottest and stickiest time possible so you Look, can we'll really, take it. We can mean, really peel it, peel it back and get there. 
That's how much well, we love know, New Orleans. It, it, it doesn't matter what the temperature is because, I mean, when I was down there this summer, I got to go to Mosca's. I got oh. to go to Brights, Brightson's. I got, Brightson's. you know, I got in my, my Napoleon house and I right. was very happy, you know, with all that stuff. So we have some, a few snack recipes in the back of the book and yeah. Frank Brightson from Brightson's, um, put in his Kala recipe. And I mean, Frank is a, is a treasure. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know if you guys have met him, but he is like one of the most wonderful guys you'll ever meet. Mm. Um, during, during, during horse racing season, he's out at the fairgrounds. He makes picks pretty often. He actually has one of the, like the, the funniest, if you guys have ever seen, he's got a very funny relationship with Larry Miller from, from compare Le Pen. And they, uh, they bonded over their mutual love of corn dogs. They've got a really funny, funny friendship. Amazing. I love it. Well, but that's also what I love about New Orleans. Like just, you know, every time I think I've gone to every bar or restaurant, then I talk to Dave or you or Pablo or some of our other friends. And it's like, oh, there's a whole other list of things to yeah. do and places to go. And it's like, there's the, never the deep cuts. Absolutely. And then deep, deep cuts. I mean, it just keeps going where, yeah. you know, for, for a city, you know, it's, it's obviously not the third largest city anymore in America. But there's so much to do, so much to see. It's incredible. Like it, it can be overwhelming. I mean, yeah. uh, when I'm uh, going at it full tilt, I'm, I'm only good for about four days. Last summer, I was there for eight, and that was that was too much. I was I was I was flagging <laughs> because, uh, to say the least, because uh, you know, if you go down there and, and behave normally. Uh, you know, speaking as 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 you know, as as a tourist in New Orleans, uh, it's it's very pleasant, et cetera. But the real fun comes when you don't behave normally, and you know, you go and have cocktails, and then you go to the the, the the restaurants, and you get these huge spreads of amazingly rich food, and then you do it over and over and over again to the point of delirium. I mean, that's that's part of New Orleans too, and that's that's kind of a great part. That's the real experience. It's not sustainable. <laughs> no, no, it is not. I mean, New Orleans has, you know, you see, I've seen for years and years, a lot of bright eyed people move to New Orleans and, and they followed that, uh, that, uh, lifestyle, uh, Ooh. for beyond, for, you know, for beyond eight days and it, yeah. it, 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 it'll get you. New Orleans will eat you up if you let it. You've got to remember to breathe, so to speak. D don't burst our fantasy that you're not eating lunch at Commander's Palace like once a week, Neil. And, you know, uh, I mean, I mean, I would never burst that fantasy. Um, <laughs> I would just I would just yeah. burst my pants. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that, that is also a real reality, I think, of living in New Orleans. I, I was thinking of the uh, passage from A.J. Liebling, the great uh, New Yorker writer from, you know, this is probably from the 1920s. And when some guy is talk is is describing to him uh, his days as a newspaper man in New Orleans, and he's talking about his editor, and his editor's daily lunch would start with quote a three bagger of Sazeracs, mm. so three Sazeracs, <laughs> and then he'd go go to lunch, and he'd have you know a bottle of wine with lunch, and then a a true Normand of. Uh, of Calvados in between of course, courses, of course, and then, you know, and then champagne with the with the second course, and then it, and it would go on from there, and and the, oh, and there'd, there'd be punch. Uh, of there course, was, I there mean, was like, it was just the most insane uh, regimen, and this was the guy's supposedly the guy's daily regimen. I cannot imagine. I wish I could imagine. I'm sure there was some some really some really careful editing happening. <laughs> <laughs>
in the afternoon. You'd want your story edited in the morning, not in the afternoon. Not in the afternoon. Although, you know, I've known people who could stand up pretty well to that kind of assault, uh, at least in the short term, not never in the long term. If you're practiced enough, you could, yeah. you know, you could do it for, <laughs> for a little while. Yeah. Well, I think people often when they hear when any of us do that, they have this, you know, real fantasy that Dave and I have a lunch like that every day, you know, you know, or that Wait, you guys have, don't have a lunch like that every day. We, well, it's 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 more of a happy hour. It's, yeah. uh, you know, that's how we end our day. <laughs> yeah, that it's, makes it's, me feel you guys are really you guys are really huh. destroying the no, fantasy of no. the podcast for me right now. <laughs> it's happening real time. I was able to get to New Orleans amazingly twice this year, which. It's the first time in two or three years, whenever, whenever the pandemic started, which I, I, one of my last trips before the pandemic started was to New Orleans. I, I remember watching the beginning of the Mardi Gras floats from the balcony at Canaan Table, your other establishment mm-hmm. meal, mm-hmm. and eating yeah. Popeye's fried chicken. Crudevu. You saw Crudevu, which, which is one of my favorites. We saw our old friend Wayne Curtis. Uh, Walking along, I think he's dressed as maybe George Washington or something. I can't remember what the theme was. It's like a very like early American mm-hmm. theme of some kind. And then you know we didn't we weren't able to go to New Orleans for years. And you know I have to say I I have to get another trip on the books. Dave and I were just talking about when we'll be back because uh, I already miss it. I miss it. What yeah. can I say? I mean, it's... I'm I'm thinking like January. It might be uh, imperative to go down there and uh, check on my investments. Yes, <laughs> yes, so yes. Be warned, New Orleans. We may be back. Uh, get yourself yeah. prepared. We may be back. I will say that the beginning of Mardi Gras and just before Mardi Gras is actually a great time to come because you can catch a little bit of the of the Don't festivities. Tell anybody. Why are you telling people this on the and, podcast? And and if you ever <laughs> wanted to see giant paper mache. Uh, genitalia crudevu is oh. definitely your crew for, so. that, that was definitely in full effect that year which there, was, there, there's, there's my in, nightmare every year that's what they're known for i love it yes well well thank you neil for coming on hopefully you'll come back soon onto our podcast and uh, i would love to whenever on, you guys Whenever you guys want to have me, I'm always happy to do one cure someday. A live podcast that cure. Look at that. I I would love it. I would love it. You guys, you guys, let me know. January. Well, we'll play. We'll we'll just maybe we'll do a residency. Like uh, like jazz musicians will be there for uh, three weeks every night. We'll do a different podcast. Congrats on your book, Neil. Thank you. Everyone, pick it up. Go down to New Orleans. Get Neil to sign it. I, I imagine you will. You and Emily will be happy to sign copies wherever you are. Hundred percent. I'm getting my I'm getting my signing hand ready. Uh, yeah, take some practice. Dave, yeah, Dave, you'll have to give me some tips here. <laughs> the hand workout. Don't don't yeah. worry about your handwriting. Well, cheers. Well, uh, we'll see you in New Orleans. Cheers, y'all. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Fix Me a Drink. Dave and I encourage you to always drink responsibly. Cheers.